0: Thank you. Hello, Mountain. I'm happy to let you know that this weekend here at Mountain, we're welcoming back an old friend who's become one of our favorite guest speakers here at Mountain. He's been with us multiple times, Dr. David Anderson. David's the pastor of Bridgeway Community Church down in Columbia, Maryland. It's a fast-growing and high-impact church that we've enjoyed a real special friendship with over the years. We've swapped preachers, as you know, and we've done things together to help impact this region together. Some of you probably listened to Afternoons with Dr. David Anderson on his daily uh, radio talk show and now he's on television as well, Sunday mornings with David Anderson on ABC in Baltimore. And David's also written several books, we'll have some of those available today if you want to pick those up. I love his most recent one called, I For Grace You, it's about how to deal with and do good to those who've hurt you in life. David's also the founder and president of Bridge Leader Network. He's one of the world's leading authorities on building bridges wherever people are divided. And that's taken him all over the world to help people come together. Just a couple of weeks ago, it led him to Ferguson, Missouri, where he brought together police and protesters and pastors just to talk with other community leaders about how to move things in the right direction there. One reason I think I connect so deeply with David is because we both are just strongly committed to creating and leading churches that stand out in a world that's so filled with distrust and pain because we're so divided, we're so segregated according to class and creed and color and cash. We both consider it a huge blessing to be at churches like Bridgeway and Mountain that are multicultural and multi-ethnic by design instead of just kind of mirroring all the divided ways of the world where people gather with people who are just like me. This past week, with all the trouble on the streets of Ferguson and all over our country, we've seen how important all these issues really are how we really need Christ followers to come together to demonstrate that we don't have to hate and hurt and holler at each other, but we can come together in the name of Jesus. And nobody believes that more deeply than David Anderson, that instead of hollering from our side of things, we can move together by God's power and grace. And to do that, you need a bridge. And David's a bridge builder, and he knows how to help us be bridge builders too. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I love this guy, and if you haven't met him yet, I know you will too. You know, I told you how Tom Moen and I were able to spend last week on a mission trip while David and his daughter, Asia, were in Ecuador with us last week. We had a great time, and it was just a a super experience to be able to uh, do ministry side by side with David and, and his daughter, knowing that they care about the same things that we at Mountain care about, you know, planting new churches and caring for kids in the name of Jesus. As we were getting ready for our last flight home, i got to tell you, my feet were aching, I was hurting, we were hanging around the airport, and I just went up to David, and I laid down, and I said, somebody's got to help me with my aching feet, you know what kind of friend he is, right then and there, he gave me a big old foot massage, that was very, very, very nice, Uh, so not only is a great leader, he's a servant, folks, so, you know, Jesus washed people's feet, David rubs him, I guess. I'm sure after the service today, he'd be happy to give every single one of you a nice long foot rub. You just go up and talk to him about that. Right now, let's just give a big, huge welcome back greeting to our friend, Dr. David Anderson.
1: Thank you, and greetings, Mountain. I'll give every one of you a foot rub right after the service, just stand in line, you've got to be patient, it takes a while. But I tell you what, it was great being with uh, your pastor, Pastor Ben and his daughter uh, Ellie, as well as Pastor Tom, his daughter Becca, along with my daughter Asia, trying to help lift uh, very, very poor children out of extreme poverty with Compassion International and Stadia Church Planting ministry, so it was great to be able to be there uh, with them. You have a great pastor. You have a wonderful church. It's been great to be with you this weekend, so thanks a lot for letting me hang out with you for the weekend. Appreciate that. Well, we're going to talk about making peace in a world that's falling to pieces. All over the world, there are problems, whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's in uh, Korea or whether it's right in the streets of of our own nation. There's A lot of places that are falling to pieces, maybe even in your own life uh, you may have some areas that are falling to pieces. We're going to talk about what it means to make peace when the world is falling to pieces. I had the privilege of speaking at the U.S., uh, Korean National Prayer Breakfast about a month ago and they assigned to me the topic, how political leaders are supposed to uh, reach out and respond to their neighboring nations. I'm not sure if I hit the mark on that message or not, but I did give them Jesus' words from the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. In fact, would you repeat that after me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. One more time. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God the only beatitude that actually identifies us with the son of god himself we are children of god if we are peacemakers today i want to talk about what it means to be a peacemaker what it means to be a bridge builder what it means uh, to be an ambassador of reconciliation and peace because wherever there is a divide god calls us to be a part of it for such a time as this this is not a time that we escape This is a time that we press in, go right into the middle of the divide and build bridges so people will understand what Jesus looks like in the middle of things breaking up all around them. But sometimes people get it wrong and they need to actually have conversation to begin to understand one another. You know, earlier this summer I did a uh, a wedding of a neighbor and I had several friends that got married over the summer. And maybe you went to a wedding sometime uh, recently as well. But you know how weddings are where they have that beautiful bridal uh, party and, you know, down the center aisle of the church comes the guy and the girl walking together with the music going and all. But right after the bridal party comes down, right before the bride comes out, there's this little person carrying a pillow, walking down the aisle, in this case, is a little five-year-old boy with a pillow, and now he's about to come down the aisle. They call that little dude, what do they call him, the ring bearer. And so here he is taking his job seriously. He has his pillow, and he comes to the back of the church, and right when he gets to about the third pew from the back, he turns to one side of the congregation, and he goes, and he just growls at them. Then he continues to walk a few more pews down to about the middle of the church. He turns to the other side, and he growls at them. And the crowd is just cracking up. They're laughing. They're thinking, you know, kids are so cute. They'll do anything, anything. And so finally he gets down to the front where the altar is, turns around to the whole church, and he growls real big. Then he sits down, and the rest of the wedding happens. People are wondering, what was this kid doing? And so after the wedding's over, everybody wants to know, what was little Johnny doing? Little Johnny's mom pulls him by the ear, sits him down and says, son, what what were you doing? With these big innocent eyes, he just looks up at her and says, mommy, I was just trying to be the ring bear. Oh. (laughs) The ring bear. And he was doing his job so very well. But you and I know there's a big difference between a ring bear or someone growls and a ring bearer. Just add a couple letters, an E and an R, and it changes the meaning of everything to be someone who carries something with honor and with, with dignity down the aisle of life. And sometimes that's what happens in our world. We miss one another communications-wise, and we, we miss one another's feeling. We miss what one another is understanding and trying to assess. And before you know it, people are growling at one another like bears instead of holding one another with dignity. And it takes conversation to help us understand one another. I often believe, and I've been working on this for a few years, that comprehension begins with conversation. When you set a table in the middle of the divide and you say, come to this uncommon table, let's have a conversation. We can begin to, to know one another better. It doesn't mean we're always singing kumbaya and it doesn't mean that all the issues are going to be solved just through dialogue. But if you don't have dialogue, when you stop communication, you begin to feel your narrative in your mind within the silence about the other group or about the other person. When we say we won't talk to a nation or talk to a country or talk to a people group, or when you say, I'll never talk to you again, what that does, it creates a separation. And you know even in marriages, when the communication stops, the marriage begins to die. And so we went into Ferguson understanding that, listen, this is not a one-verdict issue. This is not a one-circumstance issue. This is an issue of healing that's going to take a long time, and it's beyond just this one incident. There's something bigger there. And our goal is not to go in and advocate for one side or the other. Our goal is to be ambassadors of reconciliation, uh, bridge builders, if you will. Let's go to the middle and pull together the five Ps, the protesters, the police, the pastors, the private sector business. Folk and the politicians. Let's pull them together and let's have a conversation. It went so well and so bad at the same time that everyone knew that we needed to keep talking. So after hours and our meeting was done, the folks said, would you please stay another day? We were on our way to another city, but we changed all of our flights, and my team was with me even today, who travel with me. Parts of my team said, You know what? We'll take care of the flights, we'll take care of the details. Let's stay another day. And the next day, they brought more police officers, they brought more protesters. And we had conversations. I'm not telling you these conversations were easy. But I'm telling you, for such a time as this, God has created bridge builders like you and me to get into the fray, to represent what Jesus Christ would feel and look like in that moment. To give you a picture of what this looks like, let me show you an angry photo. And this angry photo is of a police officer, a Jeffrey Lure, who oversees the Ferguson Police Department, who has to stand and take words that are coming from a 19-year-old girl by the name of Deja, and a young man by the name of Mel. Now, if you're in the mind of Mel and in the not mind of Deja, can you imagine what they're feeling, what their rage is speaking? They don't know this man, but they're talking to this man, screaming at this man. And this man, what is he thinking? What is he thinking about them? What is he thinking about whether you're going to make it home tonight or not? What is he thinking about, boy, I wish this would have never happened on my watch. Who knows? But this picture was taken from the news, all right? Now, after our meetings, I want you to see another picture. Check this picture out. The same officer, (laughs) Officer Lure, and Deja, and Mel... And it doesn't mean it's totally Kumbaya or anything. I'm not trying to paint the picture like that. But I'm saying they know each other as human beings now. And when they stand on opposite sides of the protesting line, they're looking now a little bit differently at the person that they are screaming at before. Let me put up a comparison and a contrast picture just so you can see a before and after. The before is at the top. The after our meetings is at the bottom. But I want you to notice that both of these pictures were taken before the verdict was out. My point is this, nothing had changed except conversation. See, comprehension begins with conversation. Officer Lure was saying to them in our meetings, he was saying, listen, I wear a badge, I wear a uniform, and I wear a bulletproof vest, but you need to understand when you're saying the things you're saying, I hear them, I'm a human being. It's not just stopping right here. When you're speaking words of death to my family, it's like, I wish you would die. I feel that. I'm a human being behind this uniform. When Tasia and Mel, and I don't know if you could see Mel's uh, veins, but put that up one more time because I want you to see the veins popping, popping in his neck. Look at that. I mean, this is true anger and rage. And he's saying, do you understand what we're feeling? We're sick and we're tired of this. It's not just this death. It's how you have treated us all these years let me show you one more picture this is a picture of not just the police chief of ferguson but the police chief of all of st louis county uh this is um uh, chief belmar now chief belmar and i've become friends but he's been in these meetings and guess what he said when Mel screams this stuff, when Danger screams this stuff, and all their other protesters known as the Lost Voices, when they're screaming their stuff, and I tell them, listen, we're in a safety uh, net here. We're all talking with a sense of grace. But he has to hear this stuff, and he gets to admit it. He gets to say, you know what? I have to tell my police officers to slow down, get off the cell phone, get off the computer, roll the window down, And say hello well you could hear a pin drop that seems like such a small thing to do but that's how bad it had gotten that the only time they talk in that hood is when there's confrontation otherwise let's speed through or stop to arrest you or stop to give you a ticket and so one of the things we had to talk about was the fact that that county gets two million dollars every year to meet a quota of fees and tickets. That's how they have to make up the 20 million they need. They get two million from fees and tickets. And the people in there are saying, well, Stop doing this to us. We're poor, you're stopping us, and you're giving us fees and tickets every single day. And Chief Belmore just put his head down. That's something we need to work on. So you see, it's more than just one issue, but you get we would never know it if they weren't in the same room. I'm human, stop screaming at me and death to my family. And we're human too, stop stopping us and giving us tickets for doing nothing or having a headlight up. You know you're not doing that in other neighborhoods. But at least they're talking to one another. At least there's a conversation going on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. And Paul then, the writer of the book of the church in Corinth, he picks up on this idea of how do you become a bridge builder, a peacemaker, an ambassador. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he begins outlining this, and I'd like to share it with you today. What does a bridge builder look like, love like, and live like? Go with me if you have a copy of the scriptures or a smartphone or whatever and pull it out. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read it out loud and some of it will be on the screen in case you don't have anything with you so we can all be included anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick it up right around verse uh, 11 and we'll read verses 11, 12, and 13 to help us answer the question, what does a bridge builder, an ambassador, a peacemaker, what does one look like? Well, let's see what it says. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. He uses the word plain twice. So we're trying to persuade people because we understand the fear of the Lord, and we want to make it plain to them. Verse 12, we are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving uh, you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather... Than in what is in the heart. Verse 13: If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are. Uh, in our right mind, it is for you. Let's stop there. His whole point is, listen, we're just trying to make the gospel plain to everybody, and we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again as we did in chapter 4. We're not trying to uh, bring smoke and mirrors so people can be deceived to get our message. We're not even trying to make things complicated and confused. We're simply trying to make it plain. Even though we may look weird or ridiculous to other people, we are commending ourselves to you, and we're trying to make the gospel plain. We're not wiping our foreheads with the sweat on our brow and then selling it to you for $59.99 so you can have the same anointing as me. We're not doing that. It's not smoke and mirrors. We're just trying to make it plain. But there's somebody else on the face of the planet, the small G God of this age, who is making things confusing. He's known as the author of confusion, and this is Satan. We think people are smart when they make things real complicated. You want to know who the smart ones are? Is when they take something real complicated and they make it plain. They take something that is confusing and they make it simple. God is the most complex, intelligent being in the, the universe, and yet he has made the gospel so plain that he sends his son Jesus, and Jesus is the example of God's love for us. And while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. The plain gospel is that God loves you. And he sent his son Jesus to prove it. And he died on a cross for all of your sins to pay the penalty of our sins. He rose again from the dead so you and I could rise again too, so we could be with him forever. He loves us so much, he actually wants to spend forever with us, even though he knows we're all whacked out and screwed up. That's the kind of God that you love. That's the kind of God that loves you. That's as plain as it gets. But if you go back to chapter 4 with me, keep your finger in chapter 5 and just back it up one chapter, let's see what exactly this bridge builder looks like. We'll pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, since God's mercy, uh, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, so it's not because we're uh, great people, it's because God's been merciful that we even have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Verse 2, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, how? How? plainly we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So no smoke and mirrors, no deception, no shameful way. We're just trying to communicate the gospel plainly so everyone's conscience is clear in the sight of God, verse 3. And even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, talking about Satan, has, been, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the glory of Christ is the image of God. We're all born in God's image, created in God's image, but the glory of God is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus Christ, and you begin to see the representation, the heart of God. Let's keep going in verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves but Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light in our heart to shine, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, the glory of God can be seen in the face of Christ. So, what does a bridge builder look like? Let me break it down. Jesus is the glory of God, we are the glory of Jesus. If you want to know what God looks like, you go to Jesus. If people want to know what Jesus looks like, they go to us. In other words, when you come into a relationship with Christ, you are now being sanctified, transformed, conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Lord Jesus Christ sends you as a bridge builder or an ambassador to represent him, so when people want to know who Jesus is, they'll find out who he is by looking at you. You are now the hands and the feet of Jesus. And when you speak words, they were going to hear from Jesus because they've heard it through you. How can anyone know unless they hear it from you? And so you are the image of Christ. What does a bridge builder look like? Answer, the image of Christ. Whenever a bridge builder shows up, they are a representation in the image of Christ. And when I have Christ living in me, it brings glory to Christ. And when people see Christ... It brings glory to God. So God represents himself through Christ. Christ represents himself through you and through me, and we go into these areas where people don't know him, and light shines in darkness. Listen, through us in dark places, God's counting on you to be a light and to be a bridge builder at your office in your neighborhood, in your family and with the networks that you have. What does a bridge builder look like? Looks like you. The image of Christ personified in everyday life. But there is an enemy in this world who seeks to confuse everything. Complicating everything. God makes it plain. He makes it complicated. Don't make it complicated. Just show up and speak the plain word of God. God says, forgive, forgive. God says, give, give. God says, go, go. He says, stop, you stop. God says, love those who hate you and persecute you. You pray for them. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was plain. There's a difference, isn't there? You say, it's plain to forgive, but it just ain't easy. (laughs) This is why we need the help of Almighty God. And so he doesn't stop here. He keeps going. And so what what does a bridge builder look like? Answer, the image of Christ. But what does a bridge builder love like? A bridge builder loves with the eyes of Christ. Come back with me now to chapter 5, and let's pick it up right around verse 14. This is what it says. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised and was raised again. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If a bridge builder looks like the image of Christ then a bridge builder, secondly, loves with the eyes of Christ. We no longer see one another from a worldly point of view. In other words, I see your physical features, but I have to see beyond them now. It doesn't mean that we no longer notice our differences. In fact, some people like to say that they're colorblind. I don't like that term because why would you want to blind or dull a sense that God has given you? It would be like saying, I don't want any taste. I want to be taste bland. No. Being colorblind is stopping you from actually seeing all the beauty of diversity that God has created. It's like a beautiful bouquet of flowers. You have irises and roses. You have yellow and pink and, and red, and you put them all together. It's a beautiful bouquet. Look at it. Behold it. Smell it. When I want your color, I need to want your culture as well. To say we want to be multicultural, you must understand that there's a distinct difference between being multicultural and being multicolored. Multicolored means, you know what? We can get a lot of different people from a lot of different colors, but there's still one dominant culture. That's being multicolored but unicultural. Multicultural is different. It means your lives are stitched together. If I say something like, well, you know what, I don't see color. Actually, I want you to see color. I actually want you to see gender. I'm a man, don't mistake it. I want you to know what my distinctions are. Not to make me better than you, but so there's something about me that you understand. Comprehension begins with conversation. And then building a community with one another, you get to learn me, I get to learn you, I influence your life, you influence my life. If I say, listen, I don't see color, what I might be saying is bring your color, just don't bring your story. Bring your color, don't bring your culture. Bring your color, but don't bring your influence. I have to tell you something. Color is connected to culture. Not in every sense because you have people that are global, but in a bigger sense, listen, just because you're a woman and I'm a man, guess what? We're alike in a lot of ways, but guess what? We're different in a lot of ways. For me to understand that, to work to understand you as a woman, blesses you as opposed to, nope, I don't even notice you're a woman. Well, you know what? Yeah, I get that for sort of an equality uh, sort of thing, but what it also does is it also then denies something that's actually beautiful about you that helps me to comprehend you so I can build into you better. It's a beautiful thing that you're a woman. Let me build into that. And it's the same thing with culture. It's a beautiful thing that you're from this country. You speak that language. You grew up in that neighborhood. You have that story. And when I integrate that into my life, it influences me positively. The difference between being multicolored and multicultural. Maybe my shoes are an example. Can you see my shoes? Yeah, some of you are like, I wish I could unsee them, but you can't. You can love them, you can hate them, but you can't ignore them guy comes into my office, and he is a shoemaker, and he sees my book, Gracism, The Art of Inclusion. He says, I can make shoes just like that. I said, no way. He says, yeah, I can. Deer leather, 30-man hours, six weeks, hand-stitched. I'll bring them back to you. And he did. Beautiful. With the word gracism knitted together across it. And that's the difference between being multicultural and multicolored. What do you mean? Well, if you take a pair of blue shoes, a pair of black shoes, a pair of white shoes, a pair of brown shoes, put them in the closet next to one another, some people think that's a multicultural closet. No, it's not. It's a multicolored closet. A multicultural closet is when you take them and you knit them together. And so these shoes are knit together, many different colors. And my life is richer because my life is integrated with black people and white people, Asians, Hispanics, Ethiopians, people from different cultures and colors. We do life together. My life is better because it is multicultural. Your kids and my kids, your heroes and my heroes, your culture got some issues, my culture. Also got some issues, but we bring them together and we do life together, and guess what? My life is better and richer because of you. That's what it means to be multicultural. And if you were to pull one stitch out of this shoe, the whole shoe breaks. If you were to take different people out of my life, listen, I love black folk, but I can't be with black folk all the time. I can't do it. I could, because I, there's some things about my culture I love but there's some things about other cultures that I didn't even know I loved until I got into it. I'm like, wow. I didn't think I'd like kimchi and rice, but I do like kimchi and rice. Go, Korean people. And then before you know it, I go over to another culture and you start listening to their stories. I'm like, your stories are kind of like our stories. And then what happens is you start doing life together and you start stitching your life. Your kids start stitching their lives together. And before you know it, You're interdependent on one another. And you're learning from one another. And you're enriched by one another. So when when Paul talks about this idea of seeing one another but no longer from a worldly point of view, he's not saying ignore the flesh, but he's saying because you are followers of Jesus Christ, old is gone, the new has come, you're a new creation, that means you have new eyesight, and that means you see beyond the flesh, into spirit that now you realize that every person is a spirit being in a physical body that now my spirit can connect to your spirit I don't just see you as a woman I don't just see you as a as an Asian man or a Puerto Rican sister I now see you by the Spirit I go beyond the flesh Recognizing it, appreciating it, celebrating it, but now spirit to spirit. Every person's a spirit. Beyond a police officer's uniform, police officer's uniform, beyond someone's color, class, or culture, you're a spirit. And so you say, be- you're the best bridge builder when you understand that everyone's a spirit. And when God relates to you, he relates to you way beyond the physical. He says, Simon, this is your name now, but you will be called Peter. You will be called Rock. He somehow knows how to relate to who we were, who we are, and who we will be. He knows all of our mess. He knows everything we've done, will do. He still loves us anyway. What a God. Because he's a God of spirit. He's a God of spirit. He knew you when you were 15. He knows you when you're 35. He'll know what you're going to do by you're 45. And by the time you're 70 or 80 or 90, he's with you all the way. And he's seeing what you're doing at 15. He's saying, yeah, but my spirit's going to be working on him. The work that I started in her, I'm not going to abandon it. I'm faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. You see her now. Wait till I work this testimony out in her. You see him now? Wait till I work this testimony out in him. He don't know what it's like to be unemployed yet, but he doesn't know what's going to happen two years from now. But it's that unemployment that's going to lead him to his knees. And when he gets to his knees, he's going to meet me at a place he never met me before because before then he wasn't dependent on me. He didn't tithe. He didn't give. He didn't pray. So sometimes what God needs to do is break us so we'll fall to our knees, and it's at our knees that we begin to know the one who loves us. And it's there that he begins to sanctify us and change us and mold us into the image of Christ. And we begin at a spirit level to change and waste that otherwise we would have never been able to change. I think Deja. I think Mel. I think Officer Lure, Officer Belmer, Officer Ron Johnson. I think something's happening in the spirit beyond what's going on now. In fact, in one of these meetings, man, I have to tell you, I got kind of pastoral on them. I didn't mean to, but you you should have seen it. It was was happening, right? They're talking, and this stuff is going on, and they're using certain kind of language and everything. And it was getting hot, and I stopped. I said, hold it, stop. I said, how many of y'all are followers of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Half of them raise their hand. I said, listen, the other half of you, I'm not even judging you. Just chill out for a minute. We got to have a family meeting with the other ones. And I said to everybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God in you. And God does not give anybody here a pass to act mean, to be unkind, to be a jerk, to say anything that's dishonoring to God themselves or their fellow man. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And God's spirit wants that to be in you, whether you're a protester or whether you're a police officer. And you could just see in the room, they're like, dang. <laughs> Shoot. You know, why? Because at that moment I wasn't talking to protesters. I wasn't talking to police. I was talking to spirits. See, only a spirit can receive that. You gotta understand how powerful it is when God gives you eyes to see spirits, because you are a spirit and I'm a spirit. I love the spirit in many of you. But have you ever been in a situation where someone's spirit was jacked up? Or like you went into a place and you could just tell there was like an evil spirit or something? You can't explain it. There's no logic to it. You were just walking by and you're like, you know what? My spirit's not feeling that. I'm just going to keep moving. Has anybody ever had that feeling before? You can't explain it with your mind. You can't rationalize it. You just know there's something about that person's spirit or about that organization's spirit. It's like, no, 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 I need to keep moving. If that's you, listen to that. Because your spirit received things quicker than your mind. Your mind is still trying to put it in a language that that you've been taught, a formulation that you've been taught, but your spirit already caught it. And sometimes your spirit can say, you know what? I love all my uncles, but that uncle, something's up with him. Let me just stay away. God put that in your spirit. Listen to it. Before you can justify it, hear it because you are a spirit being. That's why when my friend Chris died just about a month or two ago and his body was in a coffin, I touched his body and it was cold. Why? His spirit's gone. That's just a shout. That's why if somebody's in a coma and you can't hear them tell you, but I accept that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, it's okay. They may not be able to talk to you, but do you know the spirit of God can talk to their spirit? You may have an autistic child and you're wondering, how do I lead them to the Lord? Guess what? He or she may not be able to communicate to you because they are mentally challenged, but that doesn't stop God from communicating spirit to spirit. God has a way of talking to folk. Even if we can't communicate to them, even if they're on the other side of the world, maybe they've never heard the gospel in a way that you've heard it. When the spirit of God speaks to the spirit of a man, He can communicate things. He can deliver things. He can rescue things. He can even encourage spirits in the midst of all kind of sad, sorrowful, and sick situations. So if you're going to be a bridge builder, understand that God gives you eyes compelled by God's love to see beyond the veins popping in the neck and to see beyond the hat that says bad, be able to say, sweetie, God loves you. And to be able to see the tears, and to see the smile, and to see the power of the Spirit of God. Because we don't communicate with one another simply with words, but we see people beyond their color, class, and culture and we begin to speak to their spirit. Are you with me? So bridge builders, what do they look like? The image of Christ. What do they love like? The eyes of Christ. Well, how do they live? Well, the last portion of the scripture, I won't read it, but it basically says that you have been given, in verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, the message of reconciliation. And in verse 20, the model of reconciliation, where you are Christ's ambassadors, as though he was making his appeal through you. Because that's what ambassadors do, right? God has said, you are a representative. It'd be like the ambassador of Zambia in southern uh, Africa coming uh, to come into the United States of America signed by her president to be here and that means that whenever America wants to know what Zambia thinks on a world issue all they have to do is go to that ambassador and that ambassador will tell you what Zambia thinks about it that ambassador is not there to give us her opinions and her thoughts but what does the country of Zambia think about this particular matter In other words, she is sent from a host country to a visiting country, and in that visiting country, she is a representative of her host country. She's working out of an area called the embassy, a protected class, a protected place where her work could be done as if she were in her host country. Well, God is saying, and he sent me to tell you today, that you are assigned from heaven as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven onto the earth, and your work happens in an embassy called the Church of Jesus Christ. And when you go out into the world, understand that you have a protected class about yourself. If you're driving on the road and you get pulled over by a police officer for whatever the reason may be, on the back of your car is a tag that says, Diplomat. And you're not supposed to be breaking laws, but for whatever reason, if you are stopped, there's a special favor that you have because you're under the covering of something called Diplomatic immunity. I'm here to tell you today that some of you need to understand your status as an ambassador, that you've been given an immunity. You've been given something called grace. You're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he sends you as an ambassador to your job, to your neighborhood, to your family, so that you will represent him. What is a bridge builder, how does a bridge builder live? As an ambassador of Christ. And God is using you to be the one to speak and to represent him with your hands and with your feet. And it begins by not shying away from conversations. In fact, there's a conversation that I had with a a white guy that I lived with for years before I married my wife, Amber. His name is Brent. He was an accountant, and I asked him to move out to the area to start Bridgeway Community Church with me, and he says, no way, man. It's going to be multicultural. I'm not interested. I said, well, why? He goes, I got some racial issues. I said, okay, well, write me a letter. And boy, he did. From Chicago to Maryland, he wrote me letters like, David, why are blacks so angry? Why is everything a racial issue with blacks? Why should I call you African American? Who should apologize? It wasn't me. I mean, just list the things with letters. And I I would write them back. And one time I remember he wrote me the letter, why are blacks so angry? I was like, whoa. Okay, so I wrote this letter. And then have you ever like wrote something but you didn't send it? And then the next day you reread it and you're like, I'm so glad I didn't send it. Does that ever happen? Well, it was one of those situations. I write this letter, leave it on my desk, come back the next day, read it. I didn't want to sound like an angry black man. So I read it. I took it to my secretary, who was a white woman at the time, well, I mean, well, she's still white. But anyway, I <laughs> went to her and I said, could you read this? Because I just want to know if this, like, sounds angry. She read it. She goes, wow, this is powerful. Wow. You ever think about writing it as a book? I said, no. When the letters were all done, of course, it became a book, Thank God. It's called Letters Across the Divide. Two friends explore, explore racism, friendship, and faith. A conversation. And the reader becomes an eavesdropper into a real-life conversation between a white man and a black man who love one another. Comprehension begins with conversation. I was called to Columbus, Ohio, because that's the second-largest Um, uh, population of Somalis, Muslim Somalis in the country, second only to Minnesota by the way, Uh, but they migrate from Minnesota because it's too cold in Minnesota. So they migrate to Columbus, Ohio. Go figure. I don't understand it either. But anyway, those are the two largest populations of Somalis in the country. And so the black youth were having a problem with the Somali youth in the school system. So we were called in for a day and the mayor and pastors of large churches and politicians and all together for a whole day and I'll never forget that the Somali girl said from the education system, she goes, y'all treat us like animals. The teachers treat us like animals. And I paused, I said, what do you mean? The teacher's like, we don't treat y'all like animals. We treat everyone the same. By the way, not the thing to say, okay? You don't treat everyone the same. Thank God for grace. He doesn't treat us all the same, nor does he treat us as our sins deserve. Thank you for not being fair, God. Okay, so anyway, (laughs) we just treat you all the same. Wrong answer. So I paused, I was like, hang on. You say that the teachers treat you like animals can you give me an example? And she says, Well yeah. For instance, when they ask us to come here, they're like, Come here, come. And I said, Okay, and what's wrong with that? Well, in our country, that's how you call a goat. Oh, we didn't know. So this means come here animal, goat. Yes, that's how you call a goat. I said, Hmm. Well, how do you call a human being? She goes, Oh, like this. I'm like, Really? <laughs> really? You mean to tell me after all these hours, here's the breakthrough. If you turn your hand from this to this, you go from animal to human. This is how you call a human. I'm thinking coochie, coochie, coo to a little baby. (laughs) This means come. Comprehension begins with conversation. Something so small, but it took conversation to figure out that this makes me feel one way, this makes me feel another way. Stop speeding through, roll down the window, get off your cell phone and say hello. It's not ring bear, it's ring bearer. It's not come animal, it's come person. Small things make Big differences through conversation. Comprehension begins with conversation. And the African proverb is still true. That from afar, I thought you were a monster. When you got closer, I thought you were an animal. When you got closer, I realized you were a human being. But when we were face-to-face, I realized you were my brother. Distance demonizes it's hard to hate up close. If you're going to be a bridge builder, remember, comprehension begins with conversation. And all of Mountain said, amen. Come on, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be bridge builders. Thank you for every person in this place. Would you make them your choice graces? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Once again, together, everyone said amen and amen. Thank you, Mountain.